Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Well, happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. This is Rich Birch, your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're so glad that you've taken some time this week as you're preparing, getting ready uh, for this weekend at your church. We've got a real treat. Uh, today on the show, we have Jim Wallace, uh, author, speaker, blogger, podcaster. He does it all. Uh, cold Case Christianity. Jim, welcome to the show today. And thanks for having me. This is neat just to be able to do this on video, isn't it? I mean, where are we where are we come where we can do it's not just radio interviews anymore on the telephone. We've got Skype here too. So yeah, I'm so glad true. to be here. My room's a mess. <laughs> we get a chance to see behind the curtain. Yeah. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. So yeah, here we are. This is how bad it looks at my house. Nice. Well, Jim, I appreciate you taking some time out. Jim is an apologist at heart, and we're going to talk about apologetics today and kind of the role of apologetics in local churches. And we're trying to try to convince you that your church uh, should be doing something on the apologetics front. I just want to give you a quick kind of history, a little bit of how Jim and I got connected. Um, before Easter this year, 2014, about a month before, we had uh, Jim come and speak. We built a whole series called Cold Case Christianity based off of his book. And uh, Jim was right in the middle of that series. So Tim, our lead guy, started off the series. Then Jim spoke uh, on the second week. Uh, and then the third week, um, actually Tom, our secondary teaching guy, ended up finishing up uh, the series. And it was it was a total win for us. For you know, From my point of view, I think Jim does a great job positioning the content of apologetics, I think, and we'll get into that in a minute, kind of how his take on it, I think is very fresh. It's, it's accessible for a broad range of people, um, which I think is fantastic. And just even strategically for us, it was, it worked out serendipitously uh, that Jim was available a month before Easter. Uh, but what that ended up happening for us was we kind of were able to have a whole bunch of guests show up the month before Easter. And then we're able to invite them to come back a month later for Easter because we know they're not going to come back next week. <laughs> you know, it takes them a couple of weeks for them to come back. And we ended up having the biggest Easter ever in our church history. And I think a part of that was the fact that we had Jim uh, with us a month before to kind of stir people in thinking about that. So that's kind of how Jim and I uh, got connected. But why don't we take a step back, Jim? Tell us kind of a bit of your history, um, you know, kind of the, the, the Jim Wallace story in a couple minutes. Well, you know, I was um, really not interested in Christianity or any views related to God growing up. Um, my mom was kind of a cultural Catholic. My dad was a pretty committed atheist, never spoke about the things of God. And I was uh, raised in the 60s and 70s when you really had a sense that Star Trek, you know, the first generation Star Trek cast would eventually <laughs> have all the answers to how we got here and where we're headed and what purpose we can find in life and what's valuable in life. And I really believe that science held the answers for those things. And I stayed committed in that position and grew in that position over the years and became more and more of an evidentialist as a police officer. I got hired back when I was 27. I had a background in the arts before I came to law enforcement. I have a bachelor's degree in design and a master's degree in architecture. And I really thought I would be involved as an artist or as an architect. And uh, then became a police officer. My dad's kind of history was as a police officer from the 60s. I took his job and I became even more rooted, I think, in an evidential approach to metaphysical claims. You know, let's face it, we were, the kind of work we're doing is we're, we're making cases on the basis of evidence. And we're, we're skeptical people to begin with that think cops 
that kind of skepticism serves us very well. It protects us. It helps us to get home at night. It helps us to make cases that are uh, far stronger in court. And so that approach really became the lens through which I saw everything, and, and including uh, issues related to God's existence. And I really didn't take any of that seriously until I was about 35, when I uh, was in a church really for the first time, other than like a wedding or a funeral, um, a big mega church here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, it it had a sense of exuberance that really reminded me of Liquid. I mean, Liquid reminded me of this church because there was a sense in which there was a great joy there, a buzz. Um, it was tangible. Um, it wasn't the thing that would draw me in. As a matter of fact, usually I'm pretty skeptical of that kind of big kind of carnival experience, you know, yeah. as, a, as a skeptic, as an atheist. But it did get my attention, and I'd never seen live worship before that, at that point. Pastor uh, was very accessible. It's a word that you've used, and I've used it a lot, too, on my podcast. It, accessibility is really important, and this pastor was able to pitch Jesus in a way that I could catch him. Uh, he was able to uh, convince me that this Jesus guy was probably pretty smart, uh, mm-hmm. probably, probably got some wisdom, some ancient wisdom from the past that I could— I could use, I could steal. And I was always willing to be an atheist as a kid in high school. I had a sociology teacher who was Baha'i, and I was more than willing to read the writings of Baha'u'llah because I felt like that was really good stuff that was kind of time-vetted. If it's it's lasted this many years and people are still looking at it, it probably, (laughs) just an atheist, I would have said, there is some cultural value to it. Anyway, long story short, I started looking at the writings of Jesus, the the words of Jesus, and of course the, the problem with that or the, the neat thing about that, those those are embedded in the historical accounts of the Gospels. So you really now are going to end up um, sifting through those historical or allegedly historical accounts in order to get the red letters. And although I was only interested in the red letters initially, uh, I became more and more intrigued with the structure of the accounts and the similarities I saw with other eyewitness accounts where you've got more than one person who sees the same criminal event reports it a certain way with lots of fuzzy details that seem to be unanswered <laughs> questions and they puzzle these things together, the whole account makes sense. That was happening for me as I read through the Gospels, and that's what got me started. So that's a long answer to a short question. No, no, that's that's fantastic. So, you know, you kind of roll the clock forward. Today, um, you're actually still active, retired, kind of with as a police officer, right? <laughs> Yes, and you'll see there's lots of activity in my house. I've got, uh, you'll probably hear in the background, there's always people here. I've got the DA over my house most most of the time. He's here during the week sometimes just helping me get ready for the next trial. We have a trial coming up in June. Okay. He, uh, you know, I, for the most part, uh, I think I'll be done mm-hmm. after that trial. My <laughs> formal work will be done. Right. But um, I probably will always kind of play with this in the sense that people ask me all the time for help on cases. As a matter of fact, I've got two emails sitting here in my my box right now that I really need to read, right. but I just haven't had a chance to do it to help other officers with their cases. So yeah, there's always some work that you can do once you started to do this work and people know you're in the business. Right. So Absolutely. Yeah, and then, you know, your passion over the last number of years has been to try to apply uh, those lessons to, like you said, the, you know, the historical claims of the New Testament or of the Bible, um, and to try to help people get a clearer picture of what it means to follow Jesus. And so, and that's where I guess our worlds intersected. We were intrigued by that, um, and we're intrigued by, you know, your approach. So you're now, you know, you've written a a couple books. Um, Cold Case Christianity is kind of the core one. 
Um, and then you're also a podcaster. It's just super accessible. It, this guy cranks out content like there's no tomorrow. Makes me jealous. Um, so now, so let's talk to church leaders for a minute. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Yeah. Please. Apologetics, it's kind of a stale topic. Like, you know, no one is waking up in the morning. None of the people in my neighborhood, my next door neighbor, isn't waking up wondering about the evidence for, you know, Jesus, are they? Well, a couple of things about that. I, I think that I've been through the whole spectrum of this. You know, I have my background as a cold case investigator. I've been working these unsolved murders, and that's a certain skill set. And I get that there's not a lot of interest maybe in apologetics the way it's pitched sometimes in some places. And for me, it wasn't like, I'm going to grab onto this idea and run with it. This is the way I came to faith. I was examining the case, became convinced of the reliability of the scriptures, and then had to do something with Jesus who rose from the dead. So uh, that was the way I, I came to faith. Now, I do agree with you that there are times when it feels rather dry. And it's because people haven't been, um, haven't seen their need. Mm -hmm. So, for example, no one buys a car until their old car breaks down or eats a meal until they're hungry. The part of the problem is, is that the church, for the most part, I think is asleep mm -hmm. and doesn't realize the threat doesn't realize, I mean, they're kind of watching the culture shift, and they're wondering how it is Miley Cyrus is now doing this, but they haven't figured out what role we play as a church in that process, mm, okay. what our absence of a role has allowed in the process, right. and that's what I realized for the first time, not as a new Christian, because I was just investigating the case, became a Christian, and ultimately I went to seminary and at Golden Gate Baptist Theological here on the West Coast, and I ended up uh, pastoring as a youth pastor, mm -hmm. and that's that's where for the first time I realized hmm. the situation is in its in its depth. Because right. if you if you're, it's easy for us at me at fifty two to have a certain apathy maybe about the challenges or the case for Christianity, especially if I was raised in the church my entire life. I wasn't, mm -hmm. but if I had, mm -hmm. when you are a twenty year old. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, that thing your parents had kind of put on you like a backpack and sent you off to college. Now, for the first time, someone's kicking that pack and asking mm -hmm. you, wait, carrying that stuff. There's no reason to carry that stuff. No one carries a backpack anymore. Right. And, and so now, for the first time, young people are having to examine whether or not this is true. Hmm. And what we see, and it's, if it's anecdotally like my experience as a youth pastor, because when I first started, I was a big Leonard Sweet fan. I was really uh, developing experiences for my young people. I was in the arts. Mm -hmm. So it took music and visuals. And this is why I'm so impressed, to be honest with you, with Liquid. Mm. Two things. Number one, you haven't released, you haven't said, okay, you, you embraced apologetics, case-making, right. like yep. Christian case-making. Yeah. You still had a very robust, artistic approach to what you do on, on the weekends. Mm. I had that same approach for about a year without the case-making aspect. <laughs> and right. At the end of that year, my high school seniors who graduated, they graduated in my, from my ministry and left kind of toward the summer. By the middle of the summer, they were gone. Mm -hmm. After the first quarter at places like UC Berkeley, Sonoma State, places like that, they came back to me at winter break. Right. That's 10 weeks after. That's like, you know, end of November, beginning yeah. of December. Right. They were already walked away from the church. Man, they were crazy. already done. Crazy. In 10 weeks. Right. So I said, okay, I'm a terrible youth pastor, number one. <laughs> and two, what do I need to do to change this? Right. And I realized that a lot of that was rooted in their own intellectual skeptics. It's a, it's a bad mm. formula, folks. It is. The unprepared nature of young people, young Christians, we don't prepare mm -hmm. them properly. Mm -hmm. It is two, 
the kind of aggressive, hostile nature of many universities, not everyone, but many universities mm -hmm. and individuals in the university. And it's three, the natural desire of young people to pursue their, their desires. Right. And so if you can provide me as a 20-year-old with an alternative worldview that accounts for how we got here, why it's messed up, and how we can fix it without feeling bad about sleeping with my girlfriend, oh, <laughs> that's an easy choice. I mean, I'm going to hold on to Christianity or this alternative, reasonable right. worldview that allows me the freedom to do right. what I want to do anyway right. and not feel bad about it. See ya. That's so true. Okay, that's honestly what really drives. Now, I was that guy. Right. You know, I, I, didn't, I wasn't raised as a Christian. Right. So, I mean, I, I chased all those passions as yep. a young man. And and I can see that the, the drive is still there amongst all. We're all fallen. We're all right. that that guy and gal. Right. So that's the dilemma we have for young people. Mm -hmm. now, now, what's it going to take for us to get excited about the, the 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 foundation, the kind of philosophical, evidential foundation for what we believe? Mm -hmm. Typically, it takes someone hitting us in the face. Okay. And the thing that usually hits us in the face mm -hmm. is when our twenty something is no longer with us. Mm -hmm. It's when our twenty something says, "I'm out." Right, and then I get people who come to these presentations, like at Liquid, mm -hmm. afterwards, and the time we're having together, where I'm signing books and talking to people after church. I can't. I had at least three people at Liquid come to me and say, and these are this is a young church. I think right. Liquid's probably one of the young churches I work with, but they still had either uh, teenagers or high or knew somebody. I want to get your book. This happens all the time, by the way, Rich. I want to get your book to help my uh, my daughter who's no longer a Christian. Right, and I always say, wow. You can get the book. Right. She's not going to read it. You're going to give it to her. She's going to put it on the shelf. Right. She's got questions, but she needs you to answer those questions mm -hmm. when you're at, at dinner or you're at the next time she comes home from break or you're at a holiday. Because in the end, she's not going to read those. We have, as the church, we have to get equipped to be able to answer the questions of our young people or be prepared right. to yeah. see the exponential departure of young people from the church. Although there are churches like yours that are growing with young people, which I'm mm -hmm. so pleased to see. Mm -hmm. By and large, uh, across the country, that's not what I'm seeing. Right. And if I was to walk into motion, this is why I start usually in every church. We didn't have much time with Liquid as I have mm -hmm. with others. And I'll come mm -hmm. in the first day and say, hey, can I just have somebody here raise your hand and tell me why you're a Christian? Hmm. You wouldn't believe the kinds of answers I get. Right. <laughs> None of which are much different then the answers I get, I, my dad remarried. I have six brothers and sisters. They're all LDS. Right. Oh, wow. They're all more. Hmm. And I can tell you that the answers I typically get from my Christian brothers and sisters are just like the answers I get from my Mormon brothers and sisters. Right. They're based on, hey, I was raised in the church. I pray to God. I see that he works in my life. Right. Well, these folks say the same stuff. Hmm. And we don't believe that Mormonism is, we don't believe the historicity of the Book of Mormon. Right. And we can test that. Right, and so our answers ought to be somewhat different, I think, ultimately, than the other kinds of answers we get. And we, and really, if we're going to rely on, well, it's it's based on purely my personal experience, or purely my my history in the church, or purely uh, a sense I have that God is close to me and answers my prayer. A lot of people say that who aren't Christians. Mm. What is going to distinguish us? Evidentially, from right. all those of the folks, that's really the question we have to uh, ask. You know, Jim, you're getting convicting now. Now you're getting convicting, which is good. You know, if if so, let's say I'm a church leader and, and I'm out there and I'm like, you know, I I want to take a couple first steps. I, I you know, I I, I know. Um, you know, doing another series on relationships maybe won't necessarily be the kind of thing I need to do. I, I need to somehow take some initial steps, whether with young people or with our adult population. What would you say to a church leader that says, yeah, I want to take a couple steps towards apologetics? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I can tell you that I'm, I'm torn in this because I see the value. I'm going to tell you, that the guy who reached me was a big church leader who was doing felt need preaching. Mm-hmm. This is a big guy who everyone knows who basically reached this selfish, self-focused, myopic atheist by pitching Jesus as somebody who could meet a need that I selfishly wanted. Right. After getting my attention, though, I quickly figured out by reading through Scripture this kind of theological and evidential underpinning for all of this. And I quickly moved away from this. I thought to myself, okay, that's – but here's the thing about it. I never badmouthed that approach because that approach reached me. Absolutely, yeah. So I know that that's an effective approach. So I don't think that – I'm not here to tell you whatever you're doing as a pastor. Knock that off. No, no, no. Just (laughs) – you need to kind of just adjust. You you shape this. Mm-hmm. A lot of what you're doing, especially if you're experiencing growth in your church, you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you want to be able to add this dimension. Mm-hmm. It's not just. I mean, I, it's it's like a t- kind of. I hate to always meet somebody. This is a guy who we'll talk about later. A guy like Tim Keller. Yep. Who's able to 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 do some of that, but mm-hmm. also then says, "Here's why evidentially this is true." Right. You know, he's able to kind of say, here's what and here's why. Right. Here's what and here's the why. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of what we're doing is robustly what, mm-hmm. but look, it's very faintly why. Right. And so I think a lot of this is just taking a first. It does not mean that you start with a series where you're going through the evidences for God's existence. Right. No, it's really about if you're in Romans and you're in Romans 1, there's a natural place there for some natural theology right. in Romans 1. We <laughs> right. talk a lot about axiological arguments because you're talking about the conscience and why we all share this conscience. There's always opportunities as you're preaching through Scripture to stop for a moment and think to yourself, if there's an atheist in this, I want to reach and intrigue that person. Mm-hmm. But I also want to give a strong foundation, philosophical, evidential foundation for why it just so happens that the world you're living in is best described by this book we call the Bible. Right. This thing I'm preaching out of really does do the best explanation for the experiences mm-hmm. you have every day. And I think when you see that, when you start to experience that, that's very powerful. And as I kind of worked as a youth pastor, after that first year, I stopped. Hmm. Now, I went to the extremes. I know I had young people. I had, you know, what, 14 to 17. So for me, what I did was I stopped on Sundays. That became a day of case making. And we did line by line exposition on Wednesday nights. I just shifted the focus Hmm. to make sure the largest groups were, I was making a case, lots of scripture, Mm -hmm. but lots of case making on Sunday. And then just kind of wanted to be biblically literate by what we we did, you know, on Wednesdays. And that was one approach that we took Hmm. with you. I don't know that that really, now, now, when we launched a church, at the end of that, our church has merged, and our, yeah. we had two youth groups are merging together. It's a perfect chance for me to launch a cell group, a cell church. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading a lot of, of, of house church leaders at the time, and I wanted to try this. I've been in mega churches, middle right. churches, and now I wanted to be in a cell They're church. very small. <laughs> exactly. So for six years, I ran a uh, church of 50 hmm. out of my home. Wow. And uh, it was mostly young people, college-age people, and their parents started coming. Yep. But uh, for the most part, I, in that strategy, uh, that was an all-case-making. Again, it was case-making on weekends, uh, line by line during the middle of the week. Hmm. So yeah. I really wanted to equip this group. to, And most of those folks now are either church leaders mm-hmm. or have gone on and done a lot of apologetics kind of things, training. And so we are kind of raising up another generation of young Christians who at least would know, hey, these guys aren't going to walk. And by the way, Rich, if, if a young person wants to walk yeah. because um, they want to pursue their passion, mm-hmm. 
I get that. And yeah. I always say that, hey, if that's what you're going to do, that's fine. That's on you. I mean, we right. all do those kinds of stupid things. That's on you. <laughs> if you walk, though, because you don't believe it's true anymore, that's on me. Right. I didn't do the job I was mm. supposed to do. Oh, wow. That's good. So so that's kind of, I think, where we are as leaders, as church leaders. So I hope that helps you kind of just, I mean, it's, oh, it's different good. for every person, but you've got to start. And it's really about like, you know, marrying the what with the why. Absolutely. Why is this And again, think about it. I want to show you why it's true biblically, Mm -hmm. but I want to show you also how that is what you, this is what you recognize in the uh, the natural world, the the world without Christ, the world outside the Bible Mm -hmm. supports this notion too. Because of course it's all God's world. It's a special revelation and it's natural of it. I want to show you how special and natural are always together. And that was something I, I always wanted to do with my young people. And I think as long as we're doing that every week, we are an apologetics church. Right. We are doing Right. Every time we talk to our people. So absolutely. Are there any? Um, you know, I appreciate your. That's one of the things I appreciate about your approach is I, I do sometimes feel, just to be completely honest, sometimes some of the folks in the apologetics camp, I do feel like they kind of look down their nose on, um, you know, on churches like the one you described, churches like ours, where we are trying to yep. take an approach that's you know accessible. We try to you know we we try to do that, and we don't always get it right. You know, we sometimes stub our toe on that. Um, and so I, you know, I appreciate that. Are there churches out there, um, or ministries out there that you're like, Hey, they, they seem to be doing a good job on the apologetics thing. You know, you gave some examples of what you've done in your own ministry. Are there other ones out there? You'd, you'd say, Hey, we should maybe look at them to learn from. Oh yeah. And no, I, I, I think that's hard. If you're looking at as a church leader and say, are there examples of other kind of apologetics churches? Right. I, I made a list and I'm going to just use my eyes over here for a yeah, second. Yeah, so I get on the screen here to look at this because I want to um, talk about I'll show you some things that were pretty cool. I, I actually started to collect a uh, a list of case makers yep. who were also pastors. Oh, and of cool. course, there, we all know the Tim Kellers, that, that he's got a great example of, of a church that does this. And there mm-hmm. are other examples. Matt Rawlings in Ohio, and mm-hmm. no one knows who Matt is probably yet because it's still too early yep. uh, for Matt to make the kind of dent he's going to, though, because he's also one of these uh, pastors who's an apologist, has a daily blog. His name is Matt Rawlings. Cool. But I can think of others that are also out there, like um, Bobby Conway, great okay. example. Great. Bobby Conway's got a, got a, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's got a church called Life Fellowship Church in Huntersville, North Carolina. Okay. And Bobby's got a, a ministry called the One Minute Apologist, hmm. where he, he makes an apologetic case on various issues as close to a minute as he can Very on cool. video. And he posts them online. They're wildly popular. They're extremely accessible. He's had the best apologist there. And he's a pastor. That's his bread and butter. Right. He's a pastor who's interested in these things. Very so I think cool. that guys like um, Bobby Conway, like Rice Brooks of, and, and uh, Brentwood, Tennessee, who just did God's Not Dead, the movie from the mm-hmm. book that he wrote, mm-hmm. and people like uh, Matt Rawlings at Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio, those are guys, I think, that are really models for us. And I wrote on Cold Case Christianity a post called Why Pastors Ought to Be Apologists. Okay, cool. And if you just go to Cold Case Christianity and Google Pastors, you'll you'll see that list that I think is a a pretty decent list of about, I'd say, 20 that I think are really solid. And they include Tim Keller and and, and folks like that. Mark D. Roberts over in uh, in Lakey, Texas. There's a good guy who's doing great work. So I think that there are people out there Mm-hmm. Now, if you're just somebody who's uh, 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 you know pastoring and is going, well, how do I? You know, there's lots of books I could read, but is there a ministry out there that has kind of a daily 
um, resources or an influence that would uh, impact me. Well, that's, that's what we try to do at Cold Case. I also think the standard reason, mm-hmm. str.org does a great job. Reasons to believe mm-hmm. at reasons. Uh, see, is that, yeah, it's reasons.org. Uh, of course, William Lane Craig at Reasonable Faith does a wonderful job. Frank Turek is a really good friend of mine at crossexamine.org. This guy is out of, I think he and I are the most alike. I consider this guy to be one of my closest friends in in all of 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 apologetics. Hmm. No one, to me, has uh, blessed me as much. Hmm. And of course, there's folks like Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell who are still out there doing this work. So there's enough resources, I think, in terms of, that doesn't really solve our problem, does it, Rich? The problem really is, (laughs) how do we find a model Right. That we can employ as pastors. So my suggestion to you is not to change the model you're in. Right. But simply to start thinking in each presentation you give in front of a church is you know people out there are skeptical. Right. And, and I want to show both why it's biblically uh, valid and why it's philosophically valid, even if I didn't accept the Bible. Right. So whatever I'm usually teaching on, I try to show both sides mm-hmm. because I think that natural revelation we see does affirm everything we see in special revelation. It just makes the the, the doubter, the skeptic, think and go, "Wow, you know, I, I have seen that. I've experienced." That. <laughs> I mean, it's scripture, but I have experienced that. That's helpful, I think. Absolutely. So. And we'll, we'll link to all those resources. We'll link to those at, at this blog post so people can just drop over to, you know, Unseminary, and we'll have links to all that, and we'll have a link to your post to make sure people can uh, can see all that. Any Anything else you want to share with, uh, you know, the listeners of the show before we jump into the light, lightning round today? Yes, I know we have a big lightning round coming. So uh, let's see. Uh, I think that the one thing I'd like to say to all of us who are our church leaders, mm-hmm. okay, we, we it's it's one thing to say, hey, you know, you can bring someone like Jim in for a week. That's helpful. Any any uh, apologetic speaker, that's helpful. You can bring an apologetic speaker in for a series. That's even more helpful. There's a relationship between how much you train mm-hmm. and how uh, able uh, Christians are to hold on and be. By the way. Let me just put this to you. I, I used to use this illustration of a vest all the time because I, I as a bulletproof vest, I've, I've shot rounds in a bulletproof vest. I know that they can stop rounds. But until you've had to stand there in the face of gunfire mm-hmm. and just tense your body and get ready, you might have to take a round right. with that vest. You just have belief that. But when you stand there, now you've got belief in because you're mm-hmm. trusting in the vest <laughs> to do the very thing that you know that it can do because you've tested it. Right. Well, I think all of us as Christians, we want to have a rich, robust belief in Christ. But it turns out that the the, the more we test this, the more we examine it, the more mm-hmm. we hold it in our hands and go through it and take it apart and put it back together again, the more confidence we have that it's true. Mm-hmm. So in that moment of dire uh, need, mm-hmm. when people are firing rounds at you, <laughs> You actually have great trust in this because you've already tested it. I've seen what it can do. I know it can stand up, and now I can trust in it. That's why we're doing this training with our our, our churches. It's not because we want to end up on the wall of someone's blog post about pastors and apologetics. It's because we really want our people to have a robust trust in this, even in the worst of times, which are coming. And I think we want that they're going to achieve that with those that we've trained to believe that it's evidentially true. That's okay. Enough preaching. Go ahead. Lightning around. Let's do this. <laughs> this is the Unseminary Podcast. Stuff you wish they taught in seminary. All right. <clears throat> well, here we are in the lightning round where we ask uh, similar questions to all the leaders who are on the show today. Uh, super excited to have Jim Wallace with us from Cold Case Christianity. Uh, Jim, what's an online resource that you're using these days that's particularly helpful for you? 
Okay, lots of them. I've mentioned it before. Uh, scan to reason, str.org is very helpful for me. Uh, Reasons to believe is also very helpful for me. Frank Turk's cross-examine, very, very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can go online now, by the way. Some great places you can actually go online and get a degree in apologetics. Crazy. Most of which I would say are Biola. Biola uh, as, a, as a place to go online and get a, a certificate in uh, mm-hmm. of Christian apologetics. Huge resource. Those mm-hmm. three are, are four big. Nice. Um, what's a book you've read in the last six months or a year that's had an influence on your thinking, your shaping, your your ministry? Oh gosh. Okay. Look, I'm, I'm, and this is coming. So hang on. <laughs> nice. Look at that. He's getting it off his bookshelf for the people that are uh, listening in. Uh, oh, he's got a lot of them. Oh gosh, there's a lot of. Books. All right. So this is a reading. I just want to show you how crazy it gets if you're making a case. Yes. I'm just using these here, okay, upside down. Oh, great, upside down. Oh, well, the point is, these are the ones that are influential for me this month because I'm writing a chapter on the evidence for God's existence from the existence of, upside down, the mind, okay? So I can tell you right now, one of the one books that I thought was just fascinating as a read is from an atheist, mm-hmm. was to be an old Thomas Nagel, who wrote a book called Mind and Cosmos. Okay. Uh, I have it here, Mind and Very Cosmos. Cool. If you're looking for the insufficiency of a materialistic worldview, naturalistic worldview, and producing what we know as mind, hmm. this guy gets it, and he's not a Christian. Hmm. He suggests that we have to branch out our way of thinking about the world from materialism, but he's not, he's not a dualist. Right. This is not a Christian theist. Hmm. But boy, is there a lot of good thinking in here that I think is very true, that I think atheists are up in arms about this book. Worth reading. Very short. Very short. You can see. You can see it's my well dog ear. Well dog ear, but it's a work book worth reading. Okay, that's fantastic. Go ahead. Next, next. That's one. great. All right. So, uh, if you could get fifteen minutes with any leader alive today, uh, who would you want to spend some time with, and why? Okay, that's that's a tough question for me because right. if I look at it in terms of like political leaders, typically. Um, as a cop, I'm so pessimistic, and I've been so disappointed over the years that it probably isn't going to be a political leader, okay? Right, right. I would love to sit with Tim Keller, right. only because I have a real pastor's heart still mm-hmm. for this work. And I mm-hmm. love the way he's one of the few guys on the planet who, we talked about that, but I've so robustly and so richly joined these two efforts. I think he'd be the guy. Nice. Very cool. All right. So in your personal life, when you're trying to, you know, when you're not case making, uh, you're not solving some crime or you're not involved in this work here, um, you know, what do you do for fun? How do you just kind of kick back and relax? Uh, I tell you what, I spent a lot of years uh, multitasking and pastoring while I was driving 12 hours and, and working, you know, 50 hours a week. And during that time, I, I managed to hang on to the best thing in my life, which is my wife, Susie. And so here we are 35 years later. <laughs> and so that she is the person I spend my, my time with after I'm doing all this stuff. And typically we spend it running. We love to run. Just got back from the Big Sur Marathon. Was it a uh, week and a half, two weeks ago, cool. which is a tough marathon, by the way. My first. And not, not her first. But, uh, so, yeah, we, we spend our time running usually. Nice. Well, Jim, I really appreciate you being on the show today. If people want to get in touch with you and your ministry, how can they do that? It's easy. Uh, Cold Case Christianity is the name of the book that really started it for me. And uh, so that's the name of our ministry. Coldcasechristianity.com is where I blog every day, five days a week. Put a podcast up every Friday night, Saturday morning, and then I put a video up every Sunday. So that's a place to reach me. And you can uh, join our email team and just kind of track along. Nice. Hope that helps. 
Jim, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for serving our church so well. You know, I, I can't endorse you more for other church leaders. If people are looking to, um, a way to take a step into this would be to have Jim come to your church for a weekend. Um, and I know for us, that was, it was hugely impactful. I appreciated his heart. His interaction with our team was amazing. Uh, and so Jim, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks so much, Rich. I really appreciate you. And by the way, that was a really great experience. And I have saved the materials from Liquid Church because I think it's a great example of how to incorporate case making into services. Wonderful job. I appreciate you guys. Nice. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary. <laughs>